0: Hello and welcome to the Combat
1: Classics Podcast. I'm Brian Wilson from Dallas, Texas. I'm Jeff Black from Annapolis, Maryland.
2: I'm Lisa Van Boxel from Santa Fe, New Mexico.
0: So today we're doing The Secret Sharer by Joseph Conrad. Uh, is going to do a little introduction and get us started on our opening question.
2: Okay, so this story begins with a young captain. He's, I think, one of maybe the youngest person on the ship with a new crew. And we begin with his sort of hand on the ship, and he feels like he's with an old friend, and then suddenly is sort of overcome by his sense of being a stranger to the crew, to the ship, to everything, and I think probably also the fact that he's a young person in command of older people who are much more experienced than he is. Um, So that sense of strangeness persists with him. Uh, He even does things a little differently from tradition. So for instance, the men have been working hard and he tells them all just to go to bed and he'll stay on watch. And they think that's very peculiar because they're not used to captains doing that. And while he's on watch, um, he's sort of pulling up a ladder, and it turns out that there's a guy on the end of the ladder in the water. And more than that, it's a naked guy <laughs> on the ladder. And um, the guy climbs up after they have a brief exchange, and the man in the water, whose name is, turns out to be Leggett, figures out that uh, the young man is the captain. They're about the same age, and they, their um, body type is the same. So the captain decides to um, to bring the man on board and give him a change of clothing, his own pajamas, which fit perfectly. And he learns that Leggett has been swimming because he was being held prisoner on his ship because he accidentally killed a man. This man was kind of a good for nothing and at a moment when he was being difficult um, and they the ship was in a storm leggett sort of they got into a fight and then it looks like a particularly large wave hits the ship and leggett's still hanging onto the guy's throat but i guess in the in the turmoil of the wave etc., he hangs on very tightly to the guy's throat <laughs> or is possibly just thrown somewhere but anyway the the man he's hanging on to ends up dying and it looks like he's been choked and so the captain of that ship uh, has him arrested and it looks like he'll probably be executed. So he decides he's going to literally jump ship and he's just going to s- keep swimming. He said, I'd rather just swim and drown than be brought in front of a uh, a jury of lands people, basically. And then when he sees the light of um, our unnamed captain's ship, he swims for that. So this is where we are. The unnamed captain harbors him um, for a good deal of time and is, it's quite an anxious process. And um, and eventually figures out a way to allow the guy to, he maneuvers his own ship close to some islands, and the and the the naked originally naked man leaves. But the the interesting part about the story is sort of the psychological drama that occurs between the unnamed captain and leggett. That they look it's possible Leggett's a doppelganger, it's it's or a figment of his imagination, or it could be a real person, maybe both are going on. But it looks like Leggett is somehow uh, central to the young captain's recovery of his confidence as a captain. So that's sort of what I would like to explore today, beginning with what probably is gonna sound like a peculiar question, but uh, it's, it's peculiar because it's a detail Conrad includes, and therefore we have to understand it. And that is, why is this swimmer show up naked? What is the significance of his nakedness? And how does that factor in to the drama of the story?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one to start with. <laughs> um So This is my first experience with this story, and I'm just going to throw out the first thing that occurred to me in response to your question, Lise. There's some connection between the nakedness of the swimmer, to my mind, and the story that the swimmer tells, and in particular, the nakedness or the um, direness of the situation depicted in the story. Because if I remember correctly, the, uh, the reason he ends up uh, inadvertently, perhaps, killing the, the other sailor is because that sailor uh, has a bad character that manifests itself in a way that endangers his ship during a storm. And it's uh, acting under dire necessity uh, against this bad character that puts Leggett in that position where he has his hands around his neck and then the wave hits them and who knows what happens after that. So my first instinct, and and Brian, you can tell me whether this is the direction you're thinking as well, is that uh, his nakedness um, on that ladder has something to do with the um, uh, fundamental character or the basic character of the necessity that brought him there. How does that sound? So I I took a
0: very, In my first pass, because I hadn't read this before either, in my first pass I took a very literal kind of reading of the whole story and it frustrated me to a certain degree. Um, You know, from especially later on in the story where you know the captain takes the ship in towards rocks at night and a very variable wind to try to let this guy swim for it. And so part of me is pulling my hair out going, you don't know anything about this guy. Um, he's a complete unknown, and that's I think part of the nakedness is um, the captain kind of projecting a persona on this guy, um, and you're risking your entire crew to to save a fugitive. So it took me, you know, into the second reading um, to really try to find some kind of not find literary depth because it's mm-hmm. written, but just to to try to dig out some. Kind of literary undertones uh, and it seemed to me like that the nakedness because it made so much sense in the first part too it's like well, why would you have clothes on if you're gonna be swimming you know incredibly long it just mm-hmm. like that makes sense and especially if you it's gonna fake your suicide you know you don't want to leave clothes on the rocks so that made a lot of sense to me so it was more like a a kind of a birth scene to me where he's mm-hmm. coming out of the water um, where you know, and also kind of a a, a sinless moment, right? Like a Garden of Eden moment, where they're they're without clothes and without sin. And so that's kind of what I was pulling out of the initial kind of introduction uh, of Leggett. And then it was then it was very confusing that kind of you know the double thing. And mm-hmm. so then that's I, I guess I'd kind of ask that as a follow up question: is why was um, you know Leggett being naked? or was Leggett being naked a key part of the captain seeing him as a double.
2: It's interesting that you say that, Brian, because I, or that you approach the text that way. Cause I thought this one might speak to you in particular in the following way that, um, if not you yourself, you would, you would certainly know people who are in a commanding position. There's a superior officer, but they're with a bunch of people who have been just doing this a lot longer. Um, and, um, so at the very least, it looks to me like the lack of confidence the captain initially feels, where he just feels strange and he's not doing things according to tradition, so that um, he might his identity might sort of split, if we take it as being at, at least psychological, maybe not only, um, between, I'll, I might put it this way, um, the uniform and the naked self, um, that is the capacity to command... Um, versus the way in which you're being perceived. And so I thought maybe you, you might be able to relate that to some military experiences.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, terms like mercy and hope and joy are not, you know, things that you really, you know, come, come up against uh, or come out often when you're talking about, you know, purely military kind of things. But, you know, on, on one basic level, the captain is having mercy on this guy and you know giving him a tremendous kind of humanistic benefit of the doubt right which is completely against what he should do you know this guy is a murderer um by his own admission well at least manslaughter by his own admission um at least that's how i read it and so as as a captain of another ship Um, you know, especially as a British subject, then you're going to go, all right, you're right back in the brig, you know, and I'm pulling right over to this ship and we're going to be done with this. Mm -hmm. And you have, you have the weight of expectation and tradition on your shoulders, especially as a new captain. The last thing that you really want to do, all the pressure on this guy would be to do everything by the book. And so the fact that this guy does take, the captain does take so many risks with his ship and with his crew, um, to hide this man there you know there's something strange about that relationship that he has with Leggett, or something strange about this captain's character that we got to piece out
2: yeah it seemed to me that um so he's in a precarious circumstance it does and we can get to the ending later but i I will argue when we get there that the young captain the unnamed captain is highly competent but um he, there's a disjuncture between how he feels with the men at the beginning and his natural competence. The naked guy, there's this sort of strange moment where uh, he tells the unnamed captain later on when he was climbing up the ladder that he liked being looked at. Totally naked, you're <laughs> climbing up the ladder. And the young captain, the unnamed one, when he's looking down at this guy climbing up and then later hears the story, he makes pretty quick Sort of instinctual judgment he assesses and he decides this this man's solid this, um, and he's going to go with that rather than with um, uh, the sort of going by the book account. Let me throw in something else, which is a, which does actually refer to an outside source, but I'll just drop it at the beginning. It might be helpful. It occurs to me that this is at least in part Conrad's re- rewriting or correction of Melville's Billy Budd.
1: Yeah. He says something like, I've heard of the sorts of things that happen on, uh, what is it, British ship, um, American ships, something like that. Yeah, so there's a call out to Billy Budd in the, in the middle.
2: Right. And for those who haven't read it, Billy Budd is, um, is, this, is this very beautiful but sort of innocent sailor um, who gets accused by someone who's envious of him and who's trying to destroy him, uh, gets accused of, of being involved in a mutiny. And the guy trying to destroy him knows that it's, that it's false but he just hates the beauty of Billy Budd. The captain, to resolve that circumstance, brings the accuser and Billy Budd together and asks Billy if the accusation is correct. Now it turns out Billy has one flaw, and that is that he stutters sometimes. In that circumstance, he's so shocked that he can't respond to the accusation. He he completely locks up and he just stutters. And so he does the natural thing, which is to hit the liar. But, it, but then he accidentally kills him. And the captain in that circumstance, rather than realizing that Billy was falsely accused and the other guy was kind of a scum and that nobody saw the punch and he could say the guy just sort of fell or make something up, he seems intent upon um, executing Billy. Right? So I take it that part of this, this naked guy climbing up in Conrad's story is supposed to be somebody that um, does manifest himself as an innocent And this captain is not gonna do what Captain Veer does in Billy Budd. So that's not gonna obviously help us resolve the whole story but I think that's an interesting perspective to approach it through.
1: Um, And let me just add one thing. It seems to me there's a very nice continuity between uh, Brian's first kind of literal reading of the story and what we're calling the metaphorical reading now, which suggests that um, the metaphorical reading is not just a kind of uh, decoding of the literal reading. Um, If you're gonna swim, you take off your clothes to swim better, right? And part of that is uh, you don't care if somebody sees you naked. You might care um, if you're not, say, swimming for your life. But if you're swimming for your life, you set that care aside. So the nakedness is both literally and figuratively an indication of uh, the swimmer, of Leggett's relation to some kind of necessity. Right? that he's closer to um, the things that commanders really deal with, if I can put it that way, right, and further from the conventions that tell us what we ought to do automatically in certain circumstances.
2: Yeah. So if we look at Leggett as somehow, that is the naked swimmer, as an aspect of the captain, we could just fill in a bit of the plot. So to state the sort of obvious, but obviously also chosen by Conrad, um, the swimmer's name is Leggett, And the unnamed captain brings Leggett down to his cabin, which is shaped like an L, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's convenient because it means when someone opens the door, you can't actually see immediately into one arm of the L with the location of the door. And a lot of the drama of the play then turns to um, the way in which the unnamed captain is trying to keep Leggett's presence secret. So... um, which does two things, I suppose. On the one hand, Leggett turns out to be a very self-confident person. He knows he's innocent. He he doesn't feel any guilt about what he did, um, and he doesn't respect, um, well, he doesn't have any expectation of actual justice from the courts on the land, which is where he would be taken. Um, meanwhile, the unnamed captain feels increasingly uncomfortable in a certain way with his crew because he's hiding something mm-hmm. and and he also knows that when he talks to Leggett they might be heard so there's this drama of sort of suspense of um, is is he going to be found out that he's harboring this fugitive a and b um something has to happen right this this circumstance cannot persist so the question is how is it going to be resolved Mm -hmm. Um, And
1: the premise of that tension uh, is something that the unnamed captain and legate agree on is that the men will not understand if they hear the story. Their instinct is that they will uh, treat him conventionally, namely throw him in irons or return him to the other ship, right?
2: Right, right. And this is actually, um, it's interesting because, of course, uh, in the Billy Budd story, Captain Veer has the same concern. He thinks that nobody will understand that Billy's actually innocent. I actually wonder in that story whether that's whether that's a correct judgment. It looks to me like it might not be, but but in this story it looks like it probably is. And the reason we can say that is because at a certain point in the story, the captain from the other ship, the one from which Leggett flew or swam, <laughs> comes to the unnamed captain's ship, and he's he's suspicious. He's clearly looking for Leggett, so he thinks he might have Leggett might have committed suicide, or he might perhaps have swum to this other other ship. And so there's this exchange between the two captains. The one is older and much more conventional. And by the time that captain leaves, the unnamed captain's crew, yes, is convinced that this guy must be a terrible person and how could this possibly happen? It's a terrible thing. Um, and so there, I think Conrad does that so that we can contrast that sort of conventional type that goes by the book with this younger type who looks like... Uh, he's more interested in in uh, trying to lead his men and himself according to what I would call the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. So there's this sharp contrast, John, which again I think is a parallel between, uh, on the one hand, nakedness that sort of aligns with with the young captain's instincts, and on the other hand, convention which aligns with uniform clothing, et cetera, and the older captain um, from the from hmm
1: So can we maybe try to um, confront squarely what I take to be um, Brian's concern about the ending, right? It's something like this, and then Brian, you can tell me if you want to reformulate it, but I was understanding it as something like this, that um, if uh, the unnamed captain learns something, it seems that either he learns it or the learning is made effective by his risking his ship. But the man that he uh, endangers his ship for um, inadvertently or deliberately killed somebody for endangering his ship, right? His original ship. So how do we put those things together, right? In other words, where are we supposed to understand the safety of the ship in the um, moral judgments of the two captains who are somehow doppelgangers of one another?
0: Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting question is what I think you're saying— is that Leggett saves the ship, saves his ship, saves the other members of the crew by, you know, killing this one person. And the captain risks his ship to save this one person, right? and that's it's very tricky i mean when i'm when i was reading that passage for the first time i'm going what are you doing you know um and that's unfortunately because i've spent way too much time speaking about the readings um reading patrick o'brien's aubrey matron series uh and so i i'm just going like there's no way that you know if you don't know the coast and if you don't know the tides and if you don't know the wind that you're going to go towards rocks at night um and so this, you know, he makes this moral decision uh, and he pulls it off, right? And so there's something in similar to the idea of Billy Budd um, of what, what happens based on your decision. What are the results of your decision that you can't necessarily make the decision in moral absolutes of right or wrong, but it's what happened, what was the result of those decisions, which adds a lot of gray areas to the whole story, I guess
2: let's let's pull out some details to see to what extent that move is actually a move to save leggett because we learned that leggett has he's been sw- he swam 7 miles to the unnamed captain's ship so this guy so that would indicate that there is no reason to go that close to shore to save him. So I actually think it, it's something else. Um, and then Brian, you can tell me whether you think this is a good strategy. But I think he the, the young captain realizes he needs to make his bones with his men. And so he brings them into a circumstance where the the main threat to his authority is the guy with the red whiskers, um, that that guy is now freaking out. He's so afraid. Um, and the young captain... Holds it together. He he's he's anxious, but he's entirely calm, and I think he is on top of his game. He he knows how far he can go, and he takes them that far, and it's farther than anybody else can go without losing it. And by doing that, um, he becomes captain.
0: No, I think that's an absolutely wonderful point because you know, especially as somebody young. you have to demonstrate your ability and sometimes you have to demonstrate it in, in somewhat dramatic ways. And this would certainly qualify as that. Right. And it was also, you know, when I read it the first time, I'm thinking the same thing. I'm going, this guy can swim a long way. <laughs> Why are you getting this close? Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm also thinking when you compare him to his, uh, first mate, the red whiskers, you know, my, my thought was, you know, there's old captains and there's bold captains, but there's not a lot of old, bold captains. Right. And so this first mate who's much older, um, is just being kind of what you'd understand is less risky. Um, But that's a fascinating point, Lisa, and just, you know, the captain's kind of confidence in his ability um, to be able to pull off that maneuver, which, you know, literally I was sweating when I'm reading this. Um, But it's absolutely true that you have to demonstrate not only your authority, but your ability in those situations. And that's certainly a plausible uh, reason why you would do it.
2: There's a nice literary detail that helps us flesh this out a little bit, and um, it, I refer to it in the opening, but when Leggett is swimming and he decides, I'd rather die swimming as a free man, um, just sink and drowned, um if there were no ship there, that's what would happen, then die, um, at, as I said, at the hands of of the executioners, particularly land executioners, we can return to that. But there's a suspicion that the land people don't understand what ship life is like, right? So, so they're not in a position to judge, which I'm sure Brian will have comments about that. But um, then he, he, as he's swimming out, he says, well, I was also thought, I don't want to die swimming in circles, right? I want to keep moving out farther and farther from shore. And he uses the light of the unnamed captain's ship as a means of determining that he's not swimming in circles, right? Because it's pitch black. At the end, an, an analogous scene presents itself. That is, you get this interesting detail, which is, doesn't make much sense outside of this interpretation, that the unnamed captain gives Leggett a sun hat that he's somehow supposed to swim with, right? So he gives him some money and a sun hat and Leggett doesn't want to take it. But he does, and out he goes as they're moving close to these islands. And as they're doing this, the unnamed captain realizes that because it's pitch black, he can't tell if the ship is moving. He has no markers. And then he sees the hat is floating in the water. And so it becomes a kind of inverse of the opening scene, right? So the legate used the light of the ship to guide himself out to safety, and at the end, the unnamed captain uses the sun hat, sort of like a beacon of light, um, to know uh, where the ship is in relation to the shore.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whether they've turned in time in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this interpretation is good, and I'm very persuaded by the details we're mobilizing. But it would help me to see a little bit more um, the connection, or I'd like to see a little bit better, the connection between... Um, the risk that uh, the unnamed captain undertakes for Leggett and the decision to risk his own ship for the sake of instilling fear in his men and therefore making his bones, right? So um, maybe he thought uh, from the moment that he felt strange on the ship, like a stranger to the crew and the ship, um, that he would have to do something like that. And if he thought that, then um, the whole episode with Leggett seems to add not a great deal. Right. Uh so what does the episode with Leggett add in terms of teaching him about the kind of thing he needs to do finally? Can we draw that connection a little more clearly?
2: Let's let's begin with it's just going to be a starter, but um as I mentioned before, Leggett seems very confident in who he is as a human being. Um and there's no discrepancy, therefore, between sort of his position in the ship, his his what we might call it, sort of a conventional position, and what he naturally is—that's the—that's the disjuncture that's happened with the unnamed captain, right? He actually has, as we see at the end, I think a very—he's very good at what he does, but he feels strange because he knows that from the outside perspective, um, he doesn't look like what he is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems to me, at the very least, the interaction between the unnamed captain and legged helps him sort of, uh, I don't know how to put it without sounding a little um, a little flaky, but sort of get, get, it, get back in touch with what he is in terms of his ability, the natural self, that mm-hmm. confidence. So that's mm-hmm. part of the interaction, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Can I propose a slight amendment to that? And you can tell me whether this is a mistake. But um, the one thing that I wasn't entirely persuaded by in what you just said was that it does seem to me that Leggett, in his position on his ship, Uh, is in a somewhat dual role. Um, He has the abilities to be captain, but he's not the captain. And I think if he had acted against the first mate in the way that he did and he was captain, he wouldn't have been clapped in irons, right? The captain can do, even to the point of killing one of his sailors, what he needs to do to save the ship, right? So there is a kind of disjuncture, but he acts despite it, right? Like it does. Yeah, yeah. So do do you like that amendment? Does that...
2: Yes, and I, I didn't. Yeah, that sounds right. I, I, um, yeah. I guess when I when I said he, there's no discrepancy, I I mean that he, he is always confident that he did the right thing, mm-hmm. despite not being the captain. But I totally agree. It's like an inverse. It, it's almost like Achilles and Agamemnon on the other ship, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we went to Achilles and Agamemnon. I'm glad we we're all thinking the same thing. <laughs> um, and, it, and it is. It's that's another super tricky thing with you know, the unnamed captain, right? Is that you have Leggett who is notionally superior, certainly comes across that way, um, certainly expresses his doubt about his captain. And then you have Leggett who is to a certain degree under absolute control of his ship. And so he has these pressures from, you know, implicit from his crew, these pressures implicit in the customs of the sea. um, And he ignores all of them that ignores them, but maybe doesn't, maybe not even, I mean, not even, I think he's even confused to a certain degree. Right. So not Mm -hmm. even on a conscious sense, uh, but he has license to do so, right. As the captain of the ship, he has the license to, you know, make a certain form of justice exist on his ship. Um, But it's also custom is driving it and his crew won't share that, you know view of his his conception of justice right and that's why he's hiding mm-hmm. hiding the double in his cabin mm-hmm. versus just saying like no this guy's part of the crew he's he's you know judged by me so i guess i guess what i would ask in a, a follow up from the sense of kind of justice is you know do we do we feel that you know the unnamed captain's uh, actions were just at the end of the story by by letting leg go
2: I would say, I would say, I guess what Aristotle says that the laws are there certainly for guidelines, um, but one always has to apply prudence to make the spirit of the law achieve what it's intended to achieve in a particular circumstance. And I thought there again, Brian, you would be particularly helpful here. But it looks to me like um, if you're the captain, if you're the one in charge. Uh, you have to be the sort of person who can adjust adjust to the circumstance in a way that maybe your subordinates can't be allowed to do safely
0: yeah i mean we have a saying that you know doctrine is there for the guidance of the commanders mm-hmm. you know it's not something that oh let me just i'm in a i'm getting shot at let me look at what the doctrine says right it's i have to make a decision right now i implicitly understand what's expected and you know i have to live with the consequences and so i think that that's the key part of the whole story that kind of wraps things up for me is what were the consequences and the only thing that really you know the ship's safe at the end Leggett's free at the end or at least free to live or die on his own terms right or at least however nature will allow but it's 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 a little strange to me that uh the unnamed captain doesn't do a little bit more when he does speak with the Sephora's captain, of kind of sussing him out and like what kind of character he is, or or maybe he does, and it's the same kind of instantaneous decision that he made when Leggett came aboard. That as soon as he sees the Sephora's captain, he understands what kind of man he is, and he understands that, that Leggett's tale is probably very true.
2: Mm-hmm. There's there's a detail to support that interpretation, and that is. When the older captain comes on from Leggett's ship, uh, the young, unnamed captain realizes that um, the older captain is suspicious of him because he doesn't fit the conventional look, he doesn't interact in the conventional way. But you could immediately, if you have to make a fast judgment, say if somebody is judging you, for those reasons, again, rather than ability, you probably don't have a good shot at making a case that they ought to go by the spirit of the law rather than the letter. I mean, they've already indicated by their response to you that they're a kind of slave to convention.
1: Mm-hmm. There is one exchange between the two of them. I think it's the two of them that have this uh, conversation that I wanted to ask about. Um, I think it's that the uh, unnamed captain says that he knows that a wave can make a, uh, break a man's neck right because they were in high seas when they were tussling and I if I remember correctly the response of uh, the captain of the Sephora, the red whiskered captain is uh, I saw the man's face and uh, when you drown you don't look like that now is that a conventional judgment and so of a piece with the kind of judgment he made of the unnamed captain when he came on board or is that something that should give us pause and say well what if Leggett like, really did kill uh, the first mate out of rage? Uh, is he still worth protecting even under those circumstances?
2: Yeah, that's nice. And that actually prompts me to cycle back to something that um, uh, we said earlier on, and that is um, at the end of the story, this actually is related, but the, at the end of the story, I guess I wouldn't look at that in, by saying the unnamed captain risks his ship in order to make his bones. Um I, would, I think I would articulate it this way. Um, it's also dangerous not to be a captain of your ship. In other words, not to be respected. And I think he probably makes the calculation. He can take this risk with the ship because he does know what he's doing and he's good. It is a risk, but he's confident of himself by that point. And that is the lesser of two evils, that he really has to take charge of the ship, Um and once he's done that once he's made his bones all of the odd oddities he has as somebody who's not simply conventional like mm-hmm. telling his men that he that he can he can do a watch when they need to sleep um my impression is that doesn't matter anymore once you've shown that you're best at the task at hand by quite a lot but again brian you'd be the useful one to appeal to here in terms of how well you think that that uh, mirrors actual experience but that's how i would put it
0: Yeah, I mean, it changes the the dynamic tremendously, right? I mean, just to continue with a little bit of Iliad, it's like Achilles can do no wrong, right? Um, He can stay in the camp with little or no repercussion because he's established himself as the ultimate warrior. If Achilles walks in off the street, he's not going to get that same kind of treatment, right? And so the the necessity to, to prove your ability is very important. It's also a little tricky, though, because, you know, as well, it's, it's tricky in two ways. As, as a seaman, you have to you have to know the sea, right? You have to be a capable seaman to be a, a respected captain. By the same token, you have to have this kind of, you know, uh, finely tuned sense of justice, and that that is actually maybe even more important because you have your crew, you have your senior members of your crew who are supposed to be the most experienced type of seaman on the ship. And so it's not necessarily your role as an officer to be the most capable person on that ship. You really just have to be the most trustworthy maybe or at least at least be, you know, meet a certain threshold of trust that you'll do the right thing um and that that's what's expected. And so it's it's tough because it's it's a, it's kind of the techneye versus episteme, right? Like you don't have to have the maximum amount of technical ability, but you're expected to have a very deep understanding of how everything comes together from both the moral and the physical.
2: So Brian, you you would say yeah, but we could that uh, we could still hang on to the interpretation in this way that he's the guy who has to judge how far how close to go to those rocks. yeah, yeah so he's not actually at the wheel, but he's making mm-hmm. that judgment. and th- that would be expected, right just like a, you'd be the yeah. strategist yeah
0: you have you have to be you're the one that has to accept and understand the risks, right? And even if you even if you can't execute every single piece of the job as well as somebody else on the ship, it's still your it's your ship. Right? You have ownership of that, and you even have ownership of the crew to a certain extent.
2: And it does seem to, but tell me again, Brian, if this is your experience also. Conrad obviously was a seaman, so um, this seems to be his experience, but uh, I presume within certain limits. But once you have the trust of your men, that you really are better in, in these sorts of judgments that directly pertain to the task at hand... Um, they will forgive a lot of other oddities about you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh so, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it, it's when 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 I like I said when I read that the first time, I was just very frustrated, and so <laughs> I didn't even think about it from your perspective. And now that you've laid that out, it it makes a ton of sense to have to when you're a young captain to you know have to demonstrate that level of ability. It's it's still very tricky because you know being a a flash cove so to speak um to use some more aubrey masher (laughs) parlance (laughs) Uh, jeff's nodding and so I, i i'm assuming that you've read some of those too jeff yeah um it's you it can also backfire you know i remember i remember being in uh you know human intelligence school back in like 2002 and uh there were certain times where when you when you're maybe a little bit too flashy with what you're doing it was frowned upon a bit you know it wasn't It's yeah. so like, why don't you just do it you don't need to you don't need to be flashy about it yeah. and so there's there's a there's a danger there but i also think it's an, an understandable especially when you feel that reluctance you know there's a pulse in a ship there's a pulse in a unit um and you need to be able to trust your instincts and in, in in what you're feeling and what you're sensing in that respect. Um, And so it's times like those when you don't think you have the trust of the people that you work with, that maybe you have to take those additional risks to bring the crew together.
2: Yeah. I was thinking about that as we were talking, what kind of oddities are acceptable and what aren't. And I thought, well, you know, if you decided that you were going to, um, uh, I don't know, break a uniform code or something and everybody else was keeping it. My sense is that wouldn't go down so well but the decision that the young captain makes to stay on board and and work when the when the when his men who have been working overtime need to sleep that he makes that decision because it's the reasonable thing and only afterwards does he realize oh I guess I guess most captains don't do that so it's it doesn't look like a willful flaunting of convention it's rather just that he's he's operating according to prudence rather than convention so it's there's a, there's no disrespect shown for the other men. Yeah.
0: Well, in that anchor watch, you know, moment, I, I think is an important thing that Conrad adds out of the gate, right? It's captains don't stand watch, period, like ever. They, they need to be able to just be running the ship and not standing a watch. And so the fact that he would take an anchor watch, especially where there's really nothing going on, um, is, is a very good way to introduce this character in a way that shows that he is not going to be um, by the book, but he is going to consider the welfare of his, of his men. Um, and it, 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 like I said, I, 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 it's a great way to, to kind of introduce that, uh, you know, the shape of his character through that action. Cause it, it's, it's very surprising to the crew. Um, but also like when you surprise the crew, when they're, when you do things that they're not used to, um, you know, whatever they're used to is what they're used to. And so it's, it's tricky to, 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 rock the boat,
2: to use a
0: nautical term.
1: <laughs> so so let me press you guys on this point then, because it seems to me like you're, you've reached a kind of agreement, and so I want to test it. Um, so a lot really does depend, everything depends, on Leggett not being a murderer.
2: No, but, actually, I, I was just going to cycle us back to that, but finish, okay, finish, good. and then I'll take you on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm just trying to see if I, if I understand, because um, harboring somebody who you know, in fact, to be a murderer and in particular, um, one sailor who's murdered another in anger, uh, regardless of his reasons, is not an oddity that can be tolerated in a captain on the basis of some amount of trust, but it's a a fundamental violation of the trust that the sailors put in their captain. All right, so push back.
2: Okay, first of all, we don't really know the facts, although the young captain's judgment of Leggett is that he's trustworthy. And my impression was the wave washes over and a wave washes over, you grab onto something and it just turns out that the, it's the guy's neck for Leggett. Right. So so as Brian said, not an intentional murder, not out of rage, right? It was a fight and then, and then this accident happened. But more than that, it does cycle back to your earlier question, which we... we Went out obliquely and then didn't answer, which was which was what do we think of what happened on the other boat, and the reason I went to um, understanding the end of the story in terms of the best of two bad circumstances that is you 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 do something risky in order to to become the captain of the ship because it's mm-hmm. much riskier not to be. I think the analogous thinking occurs on the other ship. That is, if you have somebody who actually is a bad egg and it looks like they're going to be maybe mutinous or some problem on that ship, and there you are in the middle of nowhere, right? What if that person is endangering the whole ship? And I'm not saying, you know, then you could kill the guy, although I'm not I'm ruling it out either, but it does mm-hmm. look like the the Leggett um, had a similar calculation. Now, right. Yeah. And so I guess from that standpoint, uh, they're both looking out for the best interests of their ship, right? Mm -hmm. It just turns out that the older captain on Leggett's ship is too conventional, um, and maybe more than that, to be able to see that Leggett was actually useful for the ship. And Conrad highlights that fact again, of course, through Leggett, so, so we could, I guess, question it, but... The captain on Leggett's ship loses it, right? When that wave right. comes, he becomes useless. And, um, and so he just sort of stands there saying the ship is going to go down. And it's Leggett who, uh, because the, he says that because the main mast has gone down. Mm. It's Leggett who says, well, we have to get the other sail up. And mm. then the old captain thinks, well, the first, you know, the big mast went down. So the little mast will be useless. And so he can't do anything. Leggett gets it up. Right. Leggett gets up the, the small sail. And that's what saves the ship. Yeah.
1: Right, right, and so he's the de facto captain, as it were, right? You know, he's the one who's able to act to save the whole ship. Right. Yeah.
0: So many layers now. So many layers. <laughs> what do you think, Brian? Um, <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's gosh, it's too tricky. You know, like it's it's too tricky. I was I was so upset when he had a bathtub. Uh, I was just really <laughs> upset about that. Like using water for a bath. <laughs> I was really upset about that and it it literally took me to the second reading to go, I'm just going to ignore this bath thing because you're on a ship. You don't have water for washing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I I think that's probably a good place to to wrap it up. I think we've... um, tease this thing apart uh pretty far
1: well can we end with a question i feel like asking a hard question at the end in revenge for the hard question at the beginning (laughs) Uh, not just why does Leggett appear naked to the unnamed captain but why does he first appear like he's headless
2: yes that's that's (laughs) the next step (laughs) yeah yeah
1: for episode two (laughs) episode two (laughs) stay tuned to be continued (laughs) yeah who could resist that
0: yeah (laughs) Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Lise, for another wonderful pod. Um, We will be uh, back again shortly with another installment reading To Be Determined, Um, but it'll be up on our uh, Facebook page and on our website here shortly. And uh, you all can tune in. So thank you, guys. Yeah, thank Thank you, you, Brian.